Well, good evening and welcome to Pear Orchard and what a joy it is to be bringing God's word to you this evening. Uh, we'll be continuing our series through Micah. This time, going to uh, start looking at Micah chapter 3. You'll, have, you'll find that in page 777 on your pew Bible if you're using that. Uh, we turn now, if you guys remember when I opened this up a few weeks ago, I, Micah is kind of broken up into three cycles of judgment and hope. So chapters 1 through 2. One cycle, cycles three, chapters three through five is another cycle. Lastly, chapters six through seven close it out. Um, and I have the great joy of opening up another judgment cycle to you guys. So I just bring more bad news. So, um, but tonight, what we hope, what I hope to see is God's grace shining through even the um, blatant corruption of God's people. Uh, so let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. We'll be reading the entire chapter of Micah, chapter three. And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouth. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame for they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice, who make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood, and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion, shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountains of the house a wooded height. Thus ends God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that even as we enter in another cycle of judgment, Lord, a, another picture of sin and brokenness in this world, that you would uh, remind us of our sin, Father, that your spirit would come and convict us of the many ways we hate the good and love the evil. Father, I pray that your gospel, even seen in glimmers and shadows in this passage tonight, Lord, would be shown forth and that uh, we might see the one who is truly filled with the spirit of God in all fullness, Lord, the one who is filled with power, even Jesus. Lord, would you open our eyes, give us ears to hear, and um, hearts to see Christ presented before us. We ask this in, in his name. Amen. Um, all right, so like I said, this evening we're opening up a second cycle of judgment and hope. Um, and if you remember, what I talked about is it kind of is a progressive uh, hope, right? So it's building across the, each cycle, finally pointing to sort of the whole gospel story. Right? The, the, the cycles of judgment and hope are building the gospel story of faith and repentance, Savior, and lastly, how we are to live with that famous, even found in that famous Micah 6-8 passage, to 
love justice, walk humbly to, um, well, now it's, free, now it's leaving me, but uh, to how we live as Christians now. Um, and last week, De- Dean closed out the first cycle, finishing with judgment and hope, uh, looking at God's condemnation of the greedy landowners, right? And it's found in Israel and in Judah, and even false prophets who had tagged along with these landowners. Um, and there's followed by just a short word of hope there at the very end, uh, the last two verses of chapter 12, where God says he will gather in a remnant. It's almost just a, a little glimmer, a little snapshot of what it might look like to have God leading them at their home. Um, look at it just as it, the chapter ends. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate going out by it. All the remnants are coming through. The king passes on before them, and the Lord is at their head. So what we're, as we're finishing this last passage, or this first passage of hope, what we're seeing is just a, a glimmer, a snapshot of what it might be like to have God at their head, to have God leading his people. And that's a theme that builds over the course of the book, right? Even tonight, we will see God's now condemnation, not upon the landowners, but upon the leaders, the magistrates of the people of Israel, Right, and even the false prophets. And we might even ask, or as we, as we read, we might remember what Micah's name meant. Remember, I, we broke this down, right? Micah, who is like Yahweh? Right? Keep that in mind as we read about and discuss the, the, the corrupt and sinful leaders of Israel. However, there's another side, too, that I want us to look at tonight as we look through these passages of judgment. And it's a principle, it's, it's coming from a principle found in John chapter 9. Right? In John chapter 9, if you'll remember, they come before a blind man, and the disciples ask him, Lord, who sinned, this man, or this man, this man himself, or did his parents sin to make him deserve what he's got going on, like why he's blind? And do you remember what he said? He said, it's not because of sin that this man was born blind, but for what? That the, the works of God might be displayed amongst you. And from taking to that principle, we can see that in every... Every scene of brokenness, right, including judgment upon a wicked people, there's something that God is trying to teach his people. There's his glory shining through. And that's true even in this passage, right? There's something that he's wanting us to see. And I believe, as we look through it, that he's wanting us to see just how good our God can be, right? By condemning and highlighting the wickedness of all the upper crust, upper echelon of Judah, by showing just how wicked they've become, God is showing them what it might be like to have God at their head, to have the Lord himself leading them rather than frail and broken men. See, sometimes the easiest way to learn something is to learn its opposite, right? It's hard to learn what cold is without learning hot. It's hard, hard learning what... Um, what being tired is without being rested, right? And sometimes the, the easiest way to learn about the light is to look straight into the darkness. And that's what our God is showing us. He's highlighting the darkness of man's hearts to show us the light of the gospel of the Lord at our head. And so as in our passage this evening, God pronounces judgment on two groups of leaders, Right, we see him pronouncing judgment on the magistrates, the judges and rulers of the land, perhaps even the king himself, and then the prophets. Right, So we have him pronouncing judgment on the civic sphere and the religious sphere. 
And by looking at those two, he casts judgment upon the whole nation of Judah. Right? You've heard the, the saying, as go the leaders, so go the people. God pronounces judgment on the civic sphere, the religious sphere, and lastly on the whole nation itself. And we'll, be, we'll, we'll break down each of those tonight, leading to the, the final verses. We're looking at the state of the administration, right? the state of, of Judah's administration, followed by the state of the church, and then lastly, the state of the union. Right? So what is actually happening in Judah? So the state of the administration, the state of the church, and the state of the union. And the first group that God turns his gavel towards in this judgment scene are the various magistrates. As I said, all the various judges and rulers across the land. Hear you, heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. And these were uh, the, the various heads, whether they be over towns or regions or uh, multiple regions, right? All serving under the king, all serving the government. Uh, and, and as I said, perhaps even leading to the king, Hezekiah himself. Right? All up and down the power structure of Judah, corruption had begun to reign. And look at the first thing he says to them. He poses a question. Is it not for you to know justice? Magistrates, judges, senators, councilmen, aren't you the ones who are supposed to know the law backwards and forwards? Not just know the law, but love the law. Right? We, we see in Deuteronomy, in Exodus to Deuteronomy, all these various um, legal cases and trials, and weren't they the ones who were supposed to know all about this? They were supposed to have the law memorized to be able to mete out justice as it was necessary. Right? You wouldn't go to a lawyer who didn't know anything about the law. And here we have God showing just with their hearts lie by asking, aren't you the ones who are supposed to know justice? To not just know it like one knows a book, but to love it, to have your heart turned towards justice? Isn't that supposed to be you? However, instead of loving the law and loving the God of the law, it says that they hated the good, right? They, you who hate the good and love the evil. Or we see a corresponding curse in Isaiah 5.20 where God curses those who call good evil and call evil good. Right? So these men, these supposed leaders and rulers of Israel, not only didn't necessarily know the law, right? maybe just making it up as they go along, but they hated the law. Right? And really the word that's presented as hated is really getting at a sign of disgust, of revulsion at the law. Right? Like open up a, when you open up a, a thing of sour milk for the first time, right, and just that smell hits you, ugh, ugh, not that. That doesn't work for me. Right? These leaders had been, become disgusted by the law of God. And disgusted because it didn't give them what they wanted. The law of God didn't fill their stomachs like they thought was necessary. It, it thus led them to act in a way that was nothing less than barbaric upon God's people. Look at the almost gruesome way. I almost feel like you're reading a Cormac McCarthy novel, right? You who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, breaking their bones in pieces, chopping them up like meat in a pot. Right? The, the, the 
absolute greed and hatred of God's law had caused these magistrates to be described as cannibals upon God's people, right? taking everything from them. Right? They, they took the shirts off their back and then some, right? even taking the flesh, their bones, leaving them nothing but dust. Right? And anything that they thought they could use from the people, they took. They took and they took and they took and they took and they took. Never stopping, never ceasing, never able to fill their heart's desires. And yet, what's ironic about this is that this is exactly what God told his people would happen. This is exactly what God told Israel would happen when they elected a king. All the way back in 1 Samuel 8, right, when Israel first comes before Samuel and says, man, Samuel, give us a king so we can be like all the other nations. Samuel tells them, I'm going I'm to give you a king, but a king would only take and take and take and take. He would take for his armies. He would take for his harems. He would take for his treasuries. And listen to this. This is how Samuel ends his speech to Israel. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you. The people were getting exactly what they asked for when they asked for a human king. Right? Broken men, broken hearts, wicked minds, consuming, taking in all that they can. And now they were, they were reaping the fruit of what they asked for. They themselves are being consumed. But it's not just the king, right, as, as Samuel foretold, but it's every ruler of Israel, of Judah, had fallen into this line of thinking. And even though these leaders, and whether they be heads of committees, they may be HOA presidents, they may be board members, local courts, even though they had this deep-seated love of evil, they appeared and perhaps even thought themselves to be very religious. They would have been sitting in the pews just like you tonight. Right? Look, look at what he says in verse 4. Then they will cry to the Lord. And that word cry doesn't just mean they're sad and they're, come, they're trying to find help. Right? This is a word used for prayer. They're coming in anguish and prayer before God. Thanking that he was with them all along. And we see these haunting words, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them. Right? These leaders who had loved, just, loved evil and hated justice would one day find themselves face to face with the God of justice. He would give them exactly what they deserved. But that's the state of the administration, right? That sounds like a really wonderful place to live. That's their rulers. But now let's look at the church, right? God moves from the magistrates to the prophets. His finger goes from the politicians to the religious leaders of the country. And the prophets, you might know, were supposed to be the moral and religious backbone of the country, right? They were the ones tasked by God himself to call out offenses. They were the ones who, to call, who were to call God's people to return to Yahweh, even going into the very courts of the king if that's what it meant, and calling him to repent. But instead of calling men to turn to God, they're actually calling men to turn away from God, 
you who lead my people astray. Bruce Waltke says that these false prophets that Micah is condemning here can be, we can sum up what they're doing by looking at their motivation, their methods, and their manner. Right? Their motivations, their methods, and their manners. Their motivation, we see, was really, just like the magistrates, their motivation was nothing but their own belly. Nothing but a fatter paycheck. A, a filet every night when they wanted it. It says there that they would pronounce peace, right? They would bless anyone who would give them something to eat. Right? You, you bring the right steak, you get a blessing. You bring a bottle of nice wine, oh, you get a blessing. Literally, it's, but to those who did not, right, who did not fall prey to this line of thinking that God's blessing could somehow be bought or coerced, right, they would declare war upon them. They would pronounce judgment of war upon them. And, and literally what, what the passage says in the Hebrew, it says, biting with their teeth, they declare peace. And whoever does not put something in their mouths, they sanctify them for war. Biting with their teeth. You almost get this picture of just a, a large man just filling his mouth, right, with as much food as he's, he can. And, you know, he's spitting out peace. peace yeah, whatever. You, you got what you want. Give me, yep, sounds good. Go, you got it. And then as soon as someone doesn't bring him, right, the wrath of God comes out of him. Right? That, that language of sanctify for warfare is the same language that God uses in Joshua, that harem warfare, total destruction. The prophets believe that they are bringing the destruction of God upon those who will not bribe them. That's their motivations, their bellies. And their method is just as perverse, right? You actually almost, as we look at their method, you almost wonder if they started in with this, this, this method, this way of doing prophecy, and then fell into this line of greedy, greed and wickedness. Because look at this, instead of relying on the gifts of the Lord, right? I mean, these were real prophets. We can't just say these were part of the schools of the prophets. They had been raised up. They had been trained. Perhaps they had gotten a prophecy right a time or two, right? But instead of using those gifts, they had resorted to the way of every other nation. And that's that word there where it says the, uh, the div they're diviners, Right? They, they divine things. They're not, they're not receiving words from the Lord, but just like the Canaanites, just like Babylon, just like Syria, right? They're going to animal entrails and reading the signs, right? They're reading tea leaves. They're doing the, the wicked things of the nation that were explicitly forbidden in Deuteronomy 18.10. They're practicing evil and wicked motive thing evil and wicked things to pursue their evil and wicked motives that's their method we've seen their motivation we've seen their method and then their manner right and instead of being the moral guide right instead of being the moral plumb line for the people of Israel confronting sin and oppression they simply hopped right, right alongside of them right? they they continued in their, their own evil ways. Micah here is holding no, no holds back, right? This is a full-on assault, painting a very bleak picture of the church. 
It is led by wicked men, and because of that, it can do nothing but produce wicked men. And look at this second condemnation, right? So if the, the kings, the leaders would have God's face turned against them, these prophets would be blinded by God. Right? The seers shall be disgraced. The sun shall go down to the prophets. The days shall be black, be black for them. Right? The very thing that they used to get power would suddenly leave them. They wouldn't be able to tell which way was up, which way was down anymore. And again, this points to, in chapter, or the very end of verse 7, for there is no answer from God. This points to how they were rationalizing all of this. It's all right, it's God's word. He sent it to me. Bonafide, guarantee it. Right? These prophets thought they were just as religious, all the same. That's the state of the church. And then, lastly, the state of the union. See, after condemning the magistrates and the prophets, Micah finally pronounces a, a curse, not only upon the entire ruling class, but even upon the nation itself. But we see him sort of using the, the rulers, the prophets, and the priests as a sort of litmus test for the state of the people. Right? When I, I was at the Tennessee LSU game yesterday, and Tennessee has this way of calling plays where they've got a coach in red and a coach in green and a coach in blue, right? and they're being followed by a person with a black screen, right? Each, each coach has their own black screen. And all three of them are doing their own things, right? They're dancing around, giving hand signs. And yet together, they're all giving one play, right? Three separate men, three different actions, but they're all highlighting one play. In the same way, God is looking at these three different parties and saying they're all showing one thing, moral corruption in his people, and much of what we see in this last section, verses 9 through 12, are just repeats, summary sentences of everything that we've seen. But notice how he's starting to incorporate the very city into their wickedness, right? Who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity, right? The Temple Mount, Zion, and even the city of Jerusalem had begun to have wickedness and bloodshed into its very structures, at this time, there was massive expansion taking place in the city of Judah. Right? And the kingdom, the kingdom was bringing in wealth. Right? They were building things. One of, the, one of the greatest feats of this time was the Siloam Tunnel, which was a, a huge underground well feeding the city of Jerusalem built by Hezekiah. You can actually go still and see it today. Right? There's even like a little wall where the, the builders engraved their names into the tunnel, letting you know that it would be there for all eternity. These massive projects underway. But Micah... More important, the Lord, he wasn't wowed. He wasn't blinded by these urban marvels. But he saw through them. He saw through them and saw the corruption which was bankrolling all these projects. The lives being spent in building up a great city. We see this all around us today, don't we? I mean, just think of FIFA and the the. the Worldwide organization for the greatest sport ever played, and yet perhaps the most corrupt organization the world has ever seen. 2010, Qatar won the rights to host the World Cup, and in the 12, for the 2024 game, no, it's this year, it's 2022, yes, it's in November, um, to host this year. So 12 years they had to get the place ready, to make it look nice, to build a massive soccer stadium, get it ready for the millions of people flooding in for this. 
Since 2010, over 7,000 lives have been lost in construction accidents. Have no, no regard for human life, whatever it costs to get this thing built, that's what we're going to do. You see that all over. If you see a, a beautiful giant soccer stadium for FIFA, you can guarantee it was built on the backs of slave labor. That's a sobering thing, right? We love our soccer. We love our tall buildings. At the corruption that bankrolls them. Right? It's, it's everywhere. Man gets ahead often by one thing, and that's by cheating and killing his fellow brothers and sisters. All levels of leadership were involved in this, this corruption. And they were all very religious. They were all certain that the Lord was in their midst and that because they were in Jerusalem, nothing bad would happen. But God's judgment moves from simply disregarding the prayers to blinding the prophets to finally destruction upon the entire city. This is how it ends. Therefore, because of you, leaders, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. This is the final straw, destruction upon the land. And the discouraging thing about many of the prophecies we see in Scripture, all throughout, from Isaiah all the way through Malachi, is that hardly anyone listens, right? No one in the Bible listens to these prophets. And as you're reading, you're like, come on, guys, just, just listen to what he's saying. I can tell you there's bad stuff coming around the corner, right? We see Amos calling Israel to repent of their sin and seek the Lord, but no one listens. Israel is destroyed. We see Jeremiah warning Zedekiah about Nebuchadnezzar coming to destroy Judah. And what he get? He got thrown into prison, thrown into a well, even. It is the never-ending cycle of the prophets to be disregarded by God's people. However, this one is different. What's so amazing about verse 12 here is that the people actually listen. Jeremiah 26 tells us that when Hezekiah heard these words of the prophet Micah, that he tore his clothes and repented, that he turned away from all the wickedness that Micah had accused them of. And it says that the Lord kept his word and actually turned away from destruction for a time. And this shows us just how powerful God's word can be, right? He uses this book to shape history. Even today, right? What, what sins is this bringing to mind for you, calling you to repent? However, along with conviction and condemnation, I think that there's something else going on here. There's something deeper that God is doing by highlighting the sin and wickedness of their, these leaders, this upper crust, right, of, of Judah. And remember that name. We are, I already said this. Remember that name. Who is like Yahweh? Who is like Yahweh? Who can rule like Yahweh? Who can administer justice like Yahweh? And the obvious answer is nobody. Nobody can administer justice. No one can rule like Yahweh. And we get a hint of this. You, you'll, if you, you'll notice I skipped over verse 8. We get a hint of this in verse 8. Micah says, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Here was a man of God declaring the word of the Lord. 
right? Doing what God had called him to do. He was given power. He was given even the spirit of God. But there's something missing about his declaration. And it's not because God's word failed. It's not because God messed up in the the calculations of what he was given to Micah. But there's something missing precisely because who Micah is. He's not Yahweh. There's things he couldn't achieve. Right? He could declare justice. He could pronounce condemnation. But he couldn't mete out that justice. He himself couldn't avenge the oppressed upon the oppressors. He couldn't, he could show what was right, but he himself couldn't stand at the entrance of the city and judge day after day. There's only one who can do that, this passage is telling us. There's only one who can judge with equity. And as we go on, even next week, as Pastor Caleb preaches in chapter 4, we'll see that it is God himself who is to dispense justice. By the the wickedness of the rulers, we see just how good our God is. He's not one who perverts justice. He's not one who makes straight things crooked. But he pronounces justice. He gives judgment. He holds up what is right. Even as we see in chapter 4 that God will make Jerusalem a place of life and abundance. And then this really reaches a climax in 5-2, right? Well, we will get in our own time as well, but that promise of a leader from Bethlehem, probably know, know the one I'm talking about, whose coming forth was of the ancient of days. And look at how it describes him. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and they shall dwell to secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. All the, all the magistrates, all the prophets who killed and pursued their own pleasures, right? all of them were as far away from Yahweh as one could possibly be. When God comes and reigns, he gives perfect justice, perfect righteousness, perfect peace. That's the God that we serve. That's the light that we see shining through the darkness of condemnation. As we close, I just want to ask, where does this cause you to look? Where does this cause you to look? It should cause you to look in three places. It should cause you to look within. It's easy to read these condemnation passages and think, man, if I was a leader, I would never do anything wrong. Right, but if we're being honest with ourselves, if we were put in the same places as these magistrates, would we not do the same thing? The story of everyday Joe to corrupt politician is a tale as old as time. Don't think you're any different. Second, it should cause us to look around. Right? Do we see sin and oppression? Are there things that we can do? Not to say we should all become socialists now or, you know, pick up every social justice cause that's out there. But are, things that we, are there things that we can do to serve the oppressed? Or even, perhaps even more pointedly, not just serve the oppressed, but do you call out sin? Do you call out sin when you see it harming the lives 
of friends and family. And lastly, it should cause us to look ahead. Right? Look ahead and see our King Jesus leading at the front, the one who dispenses perfect righteousness and truth. Because in him our hope is found. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that even in the, the darkness of human hearts and the, the wickedness and corruption of human leaders, we see your mercy shining through. And we see that in your hands are grace and mercy and peace everlasting. Lord, will we see this leader from Bethlehem, this one coming forth in the ancient of days, even now, will we find our hope and our rest in him that one day there will be perfect justice in the land. One day in the, the city made without hands, we will be at perfect peace. Lord, we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.